to be a prolific achiever, there have to be a set of things that represent something that when applied correctly, we have generated the courage to do despite our human nature. You got to show up as a Kung Fu master. And as you walk down the street, you have to be confident that whatever pops up, you're going to be able to recognize and know what to do with it. And you can't let the mantras do the work for you if it's not embedded to the response that has to be executed. We stand today. The Business Method with a shout out. The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring high-performing entrepreneurs and high-caliber people dissecting their different methods, tools, and strategies so we can apply them to our businesses and lives. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that had built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built seven-figure businesses that can be ran anywhere in the world. And currently, we are interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business, affect income, results, economies, and cultures, especially post-COVID. Since we moved into a post-pandemic world, the landscape has changed drastically for most business owners. We're finding out what is working for the entrepreneurs out there that have positioned themselves well to make sure their businesses thrive, succeed, and continue to experience growth in this current economy. And now... Let's hop into today's show. The Business Method. Hello, Business Method listeners. Welcome. And today, you guys, we are joined by a legendary performance coach. No kidding when I say the term legendary performance coach. His name is Dr. Jeff Spencer, and Jeff has spent over 50 years, that's right, five zero years coaching elite athletes, literally the top performing athletes in the world. His coaching methods have led to over 40 gold medals. He's worked directly with Tiger Woods, Lance Armstrong, Richard Branson, Vice Admiral David H. Buss, four-time world sprint cycling champion Connie Paris-Skevin, and the biohacking legend Dave Asprey. At seven years old, Jeff committed to becoming an Olympic cyclist. At 21, he competed in the Olympics. Soon after that, he realized that helping exceptional performers tap into their highest potential was as equally satisfying as competing and winning himself. Ever since, Jeff has coached top-tier performers into elite athletes. He has changed their habits, strengthened their minds, and given them the tools to consistently deliver at the height of their game. His name is Dr. Jeff Spencer, and he's on the podcast with us today. Jeff, how are you doing? Well, thanks again. Just always a pleasure and so much appreciate the uh, invitation. Yeah, I just want to double check. We get, did we get everything right in your intro? Yeah, pretty much so. Just uh, maybe one little tweak here is that uh, I actually don't have any athletic clients. All of my work is in the entrepreneur space. Uh, sports, uh, of course, if necessary, I did help someone become an Olympian this year because of sentimental reasons. But most of my work is done uh, in the entrepreneur uh, CEO private business owner space. It's not really denominational to any particular uh, genre. Perfect. So we have a lot of entrepreneurs on the podcast and a lot of entrepreneurs listening to the podcast. But as you know, entrepreneurs are also high-performing individuals. So it'll be extra special for everybody to get to, to get inside your mind. And you've been in the coaching space literally for 
five decades now? Man, you know, it's like when I think about it, it's, it's almost scary. It's been over five decades. Um, I mean, when I think about that as a participant, I started when I was, uh, you know, actually 10. And so I'll be 70 next year. I don't know what that's supposed to look and feel like. I got a 22 year old daughter. So, uh, you know, again, I, you know, to me, the advantage of that is, is that there's really nothing that I haven't seen or participated in. And I've kind of seen everything from every angle. So it's been such an amazing ride and I'm still a, a, an active participant as well uh, as, a, a, as a, an advisor. So I can imagine being a coach all those years that you really figured out how to tap into keeping your health and well-being strong over the decades because I know you're 70 years old and you look great for 70. And do you feel 70? You know, I don't know what that's supposed to feel like, but I, I mean, the, the idea of spending time with people my age is absolutely horrific to me. You know, I, it just scares the crap out of me. So, you know, I just, I, whoever is interested in playing big and making that their normal, I'm interested in being around. And if they're committed to uh, understanding the process and they're, uh, again, committed to manifesting their talents and their abilities and to showcase them to others, to call others to a higher game, just count me 100% in. And generally that's, you know, believe it or not, you know, 35 to uh, 55 is kind of the, the sacred zone there. You know, you get a little bit older than that and you, you get a little bit too domesticated. Life gets just a little bit too comfortable. You start to lose your edge, you know, and before that you're still looking for the technical advantage, you know, but there's that sweet spot there that I'm absolutely passionate about. I'm assuming you haven't lost your edge yet, Jeff, right? Yeah, well, no, not at all. You know, on occasion, I have really good uh, Olympic type legs and I have no problem punishing the younger riders and letting them know who's boss, you know, <laughs> and, I, and I, whenever I feel that I show up and deliver on the promise of that. Well, I'm glad to have you on the show. And I think that's something too, that I've noticed, especially with entrepreneurs and high performers, that it's, it's about hanging out with very like-minded people as opposed to the age brackets they're in. So many people stick within their age brackets and then they don't understand the mindsets of a generation earlier or even a generation older than them. I'm close to people that are in their 70s, 60s, very good friends that are in their 50s and very good friends that are in their 20s. But we're all in the same mindset, like the same wavelength, right? We're talking about the same thing on a regular basis. So five decades in the coaching space for many athletes and now focus more in the entrepreneur realm. And um, you've done some amazing things and I'm really impressed with with everything that you've done. But let's do like a little backstory for a while. So uh, it started when you were seven and you decided you were going to be an Olympic cyclist, right? How, where did that come about? Yeah, I mean, who knows? I, I was thinking about this yesterday. It's like when I was a kid, I'd get up really early in the morning, maybe I was six or seven and I'd go out when it was dark and I'd hit my, uh, I had 28 inch baseball bat and I hit this ball up and down the street by myself when it was dark. I just had the self-start gene and I was really physical and I saw the Olympics. I thought that'd be the coolest thing ever to actually march into the stadium in the opening day parade. I didn't know how I was going to do it. And then a couple of years later, when I was 10, I showed some unusual talent on a bicycle and I said, Oh, this is how I'm going to do it. And I was really lucky because I had the best coach in the world. He was a five-time national champion, three-time Olympian. And he, and he taught me how to win. That's what he said. I'm going to teach you how to win. If you learn the skill of winning, because it, it is an applied skill. It's not about guessing or trying harder. The person that wants to win more than the others doesn't necessarily win. It's the one that really knows the process and the skill and knows how to apply it 
like when it counts. So I was really, really lucky to have him start to craft my mind and my body to step into that uh, level of, of engagement. And then um, throughout that process, uh, when I was uh, 18, I uh, was uh, in the University of Southern California studying sports uh, um, science. I was there as an educational opportunity student because the last time I saw my dad when he was, when I was 13, and he was a, a genius, uh, but uh, he left the family and we went on welfare at that time. And I was a self-starter, so it didn't really bother me too much, only because I was so used to doing everything by myself that that wasn't that difficult for me, but I was really fortunate to have another mentor jump into my life when I was 18. And uh, it was through an, a, an acquaintance of mine in the neighborhood that uh, connected me with him. And he was 76 and I was 18. He was a true Renaissance man. He was a trained university metallurgist. He was a Shakespearean actor, a playwright, a poet. He developed a whole other new form of art glass sculpture. He won an Emmy for a film that was done on his creative philosophy. And he chose me as an athlete to be his apprentice to help him create his art glass masterpieces. And why that was important is because I have a huge artistic side to me. I'm left-handed, big right brain. But more importantly, I had a capacity to absorb something that I wasn't getting from my cycling coach. And my mentor uh, at the breaks uh, between our sessions, helping him with his masterpieces, he would play classical music to me. He would read the poets. He would share with me the great philosophers. And he said, I need to fill you up on this stuff, which he did. Uh, and so uh, when it came time to performing in the Olympics, I was simultaneously uh, in the middle of my undergraduate work at USC. I was also uh, helping him in the artistic world as well as developing my uh, sports and athletic prowess simultaneously. And actually all those three working together made me much better at each because me as a person was growing in a way that I could see things in different ways than people that were too, street, too steeped in the traditions of those three different entities by themselves. So with that, I did become an Olympian. I went on to get my master's degree in sports science. And then when I graduated with my master's degree, athletes came to me and they wanted to win gold medals and they wanted to be highly paid professionals. And business people came to me and said, well, you must know something about becoming a champion and I need to become my own business champion. Can you help me do that? And so I immediately jumped into crafting actually their career paths in addition to some of the other nuances involving fitness and health, so on and so forth. And something interesting happened is that um, the uh, athlete said, I need to extend my career. How do I do that? I cannot get injured and I have to get back quickly. I don't know anybody that can take care of me well. And I knew that from being an Olympian myself that the care you'd think would be first rate, but it, it isn't always that. And uh, the business people came to me and said, Jeff, um, you know, I'm in my early forties and uh, I don't want to see and have happened to me what I see happening to my colleagues. They're dying from heart attacks and strokes in their early forties, some in their late thirties. I don't want to be that statistic to leave a family uh, and a child or children behind. How do I not do that? I made the decision then to go back to chiropractic school to become a licensed primary healthcare provider to work with the athletes in terms of uh, injury prevention and care. 
and with the business people on how to maintain a level of wellness that they could be confident that they would have a vital and vibrant life well into their you know 70s 80s and 90s so when we looked at my olympic experience and i can say this is that unless you have performed at that level and it's in your dna you cannot teach that you cannot guide people to that sacred place you can't interview people and be that you can't read books on it and be it if you want to you know play and pull people into that one or 2% zone that you can only get to through the advice and the guidance and the, the Sherpa that can take you there. That's been there. So I had that side of it mastered through my own experience. I put 10 years of my life into getting there. And then with the uh, sports science degree, I knew how to craft a body that could do two things. Number one, if you're going to be a successful business person, you got to be able to push. You got to be able to push. You got to be able to push hard. You got to know that you could push hard because if you're not sure, then everybody else is going to smell your uncertainty and it's going to scare them. So you got to know that. And you also have to know that you have enough health and you have processes in place that will ensure that you get to the place where you can then start creating your best legacy. And if you blow yourself up in the process of that, either from a catastrophic health event or a relationship failure, then you're screwed. You can throw away two or three or four decades of hard work in an instant by one relationship or one untimely health event. And so with that, high performers in sports, business, and entertainment, they came to me because they realized that they have all these experts around them that are experts in a slice of the pie, but there was no integration. And so they didn't know whether they were being too, too much or too little. And how do I do all this? Because I can't do what everybody's telling me because it's not a 50-hour day. There's got to be some way of taking the best of everything and a certain percentage of that and weaving something together where I can actually achieve that. And you must be the guy because you've seen all the parts. You've lived all the parts. You won't know all the parts. And that's how I got into the world of working with you two and helping them prepare for a world tour. You know, I got to work you know, all seven. Uh, we've won eight Tour de France's I've been involved with. So that's how I got involved with that in the business world. You know, Dave Asprey, Bulletproof was a client of mine. I was the voice inside his head that helped him become Bulletproof. So with that uh, history, that's how I got to, to where I am today. And, and I'll also say one other thing is that uh, we adopted our daughter uh, 11 years ago from Columbia at the age of 10. And, uh, uh, you know, usually uh, older kids are considered damaged good. Nobody wants to touch them. But you know, we were called to that and we were matched with this uh, uh, young girl. And uh, I spent the last 11 years raising my daughter. Uh, and uh, just a little context here is that um, when we adopted her, she didn't speak English. We didn't speak Spanish. We just made it up, you know, a primitive sign language. Uh, she had no school, uh, severe PTSD and uh, ADHD from the horrific uh, trauma, physical and mental that she was exposed to. And parasitic ridden body. I mean, it was as bad as you can get. And when I realized that, you know, we have adopted this uh, child, I have to fulfill my gold medal promise to her that I will be her father. So at the height of my game at 58, I realized that I have to back away. I have to cut my workload by 90% to be her dad. And uh, overnight, 90% of my income and 90% of my uh, practice volume disappeared uh, by specific intention by me to be her father. And what I learned during um, that period of time certainly makes up for any 
liability that I may have incurred because of that, that I never questioned or was reluctant to accept responsibility for in light of. But that's another kind of important you know, modifier here that has helped uh, you know, dramatically with my evolution as a human being able to solve very complex problems for people that have a lot of stake when they have no option other than to get it right the first time. So that's the history and that's uh, how I got to where I am today. Incredible story. I mean, that's uh, the story with you choosing to be, you know, a gold medal father, like you put it, um, yeah. reminds me of the old story of like, burn your boats or burn your bridges behind you, right? And you've made the decision, you're going to fulfill that commitment, and you're going to go at it. So, so I'd love to know, right before <laughs> we'll, we'll jump into the meat and potatoes, but how is your daughter now? Like, how's she doing? Oh, wow. Thanks for asking. She's, uh, um, like an honor student and a uh, athlete scholar, and she'll be completing her um, her senior year in college this year, which uh, is is a, an absolute miracle. Knowing that nobody in her family uh, even graduated from uh, elementary school, you know, it's a miracle. And you know, just a couple of things I learned from this, if I may, is that you can love anybody. All you just do is decide you're going to do it, and you do it. You also uh, make a commitment to do whatever is necessary to fulfill your end of the deal. And you don't barter for what you're going to get for what you're going to give. You just give everything that has to go right to get them to where uh, you want them to get to. And that you never discount the possibility of a miracle because that was a miracle. Hardest thing I've ever done. The Olympics was easy. Hey, listeners, if you're looking to that. amplify easy. your income and become yeah, an authority figure faster than in your else space go, by getting booked on podcasts that your target audience you is already consuming, winning then listen up. And this is something Our podcast sponsor today I'm, is I'm Podcasting You. Podcasting You helps myself, entrepreneurs so, uh, just like you generate leads for their business, increase business revenue, and become thought leaders in their niche of choice. Podcasting You takes care of President, finding the I right mean, podcast for you to be on, writing right your pitch, booking and scheduling you on podcasts, and even preparing you for all politics aside. Like that's they've helped hundreds of entrepreneurs get booked on thousands and of podcasts. So and I've seen this people on top rated podcasts, but it's not like something Andrew that's Mixergy, Jamie mindset. Masters, Eventual Millionaire, yeah, um, and the Mike Miller podcast. I think it's not something that if you're interested in getting booked on more podcasts, go check out podcastingyou.com forward slash the business method. That's podcastingyou.com forward slash the business method. 
mindset. And they will give you $250 off your first package. I don't know. I've been a guest like on many podcasts, missing. and so I can tell you elaborate that on the handsomely, some more and both financially and yeah. for brand awareness. I would love to. Well, I think shows. part of the reason. So, Go reach out to those guys at Podcasting And now, in back into the how interview. you're sharing that with me. Um, I think people already believe that they know what that is. They think winning mindset means I'm going to mow down anything and nothing's going to get in my way. Nothing's going to take me out of the game. They think that's a winning mindset. And I would very much differ with them on a couple of different levels because I wouldn't say it's a winning mindset. I would say it's a winning mind. And, and let me explain, if I may, is that um, when you look at uh, how we're biologically created, uh, our human nature, that which we all have, that we all share as a human, actually has two mentalities that are at war with each other 24 hours a day. And those mentalities are, first, it's the human mindset meaning that it's human. We all have it and it's set. It's like not modifiable. It's not modifiable. And humans generally taken as a whole, given a certain set of circumstances, everybody will come to the same conclusion. For example, if I want it bad enough, I'm going to get it. I think we all agree on that. Well, it doesn't have a particularly good track record. If you look at how that's delivered upon, there's plenty of people that want a lot that don't get a fraction or any of it. So, you know, first off, that's a myth. But if we look at the opposing side of this, here's human mindset, then we have this other entity here. This is champion's mind. And when we think about champion, we're talking about a different playing field. We're talking about a crafting of something and a refinement of something, not necessarily something that we're born with in its entirety. And when we talk about the human, that champion's mind, we're talking about a living, breathing entity that can listen, interpret, and edit information and can construct actions based upon that and can activate uh, those actions that have to go right to be able to achieve that target. And these two forces are at war with each other 24 hours a day for control over our decision-making. I think all of us experience a, a, an easiness about life and we feel a little bit of a torment, should I or shouldn't I? Yeah, maybe I should do this, maybe I should do that. Eh, 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 eh. Like 24 hours a day, when our eyes first open till they close at night, we have this kind of uneasiness, this unrest, this ping pong match between should I or shouldn't I? And that really reflects this ongoing battle that you can't shut off. It's part of the human experience. So uh, if I may, I'd like to share this through a, a story. Um, I was called in uh, to, I actually got an email to help an Olympic athlete who is currently leading the world championship and uh, favored to win the gold medal in the long jump. Uh, two and a half weeks before the Olympic final, he was mentally unraveling and he had the best coach. He had the best equipment. He had the best sponsorship. He had the best of everything, but yet he was mentally unraveling. And of course, I'm wondering, well, why is that? I mean, I knew why, but I'm saying, well, I don't understand why you guys didn't take care of this in advance. You know, why didn't you ask a certain set of questions to preempt the reasons why it might unravel? And uh, it was two and a half weeks before the Olympic final. I mean, I say two and a half weeks. And this, the, the, the hopes of the nation were on this guy's shoulders. Can you imagine what this feels like? 
I'm mentally unraveling. I can't keep this together. Things are getting worse and worse every day. And all I read in the newspapers are, I'm gonna win a gold medal for the country. I mean, I'm not feeling really good about this, you know, just a little bit of pressure here maybe. And I did talk with him and said, well, you know, Greg, uh, here's what you need to understand that you have these two forces that are at war with each other. You have your human mindset that you didn't ask for that's programmed into your DNA. And you got the champion side of you that wants to excel and win the gold medal. And these are at war. That's what you're experiencing. But you need to understand the biology of both of these first and foremost. I said, so let's look at what human nature, the human mindset really is. I said, uh, uh, number one, the um, human mindset is really our fear-based survival instincts is what they are. It's hardwired into our DNA. That's what the human mindset is all about. It is absolutely 100% hardwired. And because it's hardwired, it's only about survival. It doesn't care about your Olympic gold medal. It doesn't care about your world championship. It could care less. It only cares about one thing and that's survival. And because it's about survival, it's just not on the playing field, but it's off the playing field as well. It's a high speed biologic reflex. that's faster than you can think. Meaning that if you are like in an intersection and a car runs a red light. There's something in you that recognizes that faster than you can consciously be aware of it, where you turn out of the way, but it's done very deliberately and intentionally is a survival, uh, is a survival response. And I said, also an example of this kind of in a, in a human space here is that, have you ever said anything that really sounded so right at the time. And then you said it faster than you could think. And it didn't turn out so well. Has that ever happened? <laughs> well, maybe only 10 times today already. But I said, that's your human mindset again, acting on your behalf faster than you can think. And that's that part of you. You can't shut that song off. That's on 24 hours a day. And the problem with that is, Greg, is that it can only make history. It can only repeat history. It can't make it. So therefore, you've already lost your gold medal. If that's how you're going to approach the next two and a half weeks, you're freaking done. You're absolutely freaking done. But I said, the good news is that you've got the champion's mind on the other side of this. And the champion's mind is calibrated towards one thing. It's calibrated towards excellence. But because it's not survival, it doesn't get first dibs at every moment but it does have the capacity to override because it does get final say as long as you apply it. And that's what makes history. Do you understand the two here, Greg? He said, yeah. I said, which one are you coming from? He said, I'm totally, I'm a human mindset right now. I'm making all of these decisions faster than I can think. And the tsunami is starting to just absolutely overwhelm me. And then I'm starting to cave under the pressure and the weight of what I can't figure out that's growing day by day. And I said, well, let me kind of explain uh, a couple of examples of, of how these are different. I said, let's say you're given an opportunity, like win the gold medal. Your human nature, because it's fear-based, is going to say, what do I stand to lose? So every decision you make is going to be based on what you stand to lose. Uh, that's a recipe for disaster because you're playing great defense. This isn't an offensive play. 
you're getting too tight, you're starting to shrink, you're starting to implode upon yourself. I said, champions given an opportunity, they don't think like that. Given an opportunity, a champion is what do I stand to gain? You know, what's the offensive play here? You know, it's big, it's aspirational, it's huge. It is oxygen in the lungs. You can see the difference, Greg. You're certainly playing this from the human's mindset. And I said, given an accountability, you're going to say, well, I'm doing my best. You've already set for yourself what your limit is without even trying. Therefore, you're toast. You're done. Champions don't think like that. You know, champions know that they have to not only, uh, they, they need to do that which has to go right to be able to excel. It's not just doing your best. It's about finding a way. Why do you think you're given ingenuity, curiosity, and insight, and initiative? Why do you have that? That's to find a way. That's what champions do. You're not doing that. Greg, if we look at human nature versus the champion's nature again, and in your case, this is the problem. You think that you got to put in the perfect jump to win the gold medal. And so you and your team are making every contingency for every potential detail to put in the perfect jump. But your mind is going to trick you because your mind is going to make you think that there's something that you haven't seen yet that's the difference between winning or losing. And because you can't find it, you don't believe that you're worthy or capable of winning. Therefore, again, you're done. You've lost. It's not about perfection. The champions know it's about the one or two things that have to go right to win. So for you, Greg, the two things that need to go right to win, number one, don't change your warm-up. You're screwing around with your warm-up. Your body's afraid. It doesn't want to come out and play. It doesn't know why you're asking something different now than it's used to over the last 20 years. Just get back to doing what you were doing. It's free. And then the second thing, it's your first four steps to the run-up. Determine where you hit, your foot hits the board to get the lift to win the gold medal. It's that simple, Greg. It's not about perfection. It's about the, one of the two things that count. And I said, Greg, look, I, I know right now that you're terrified about this. You know, you're, I can see it on your face. You're just fear-ridden. But here's what you need to know about fear is that our human mindset makes us think that we need to be fear-free to put in the perfect jump. And so here's what you need to know is that those people that lead fear-free lives, they haven't mastered fear. They're living life too much in the safe zone. They don't even know who they are because they're never risking anything. So therefore, they have low-grade anxiety because they're not even stepping in too close to what their potential may be. So you, Greg, only need to understand what the champions do. They feel the fear and they do it anyway. And if you're prepared, it's as good as a win. So you got to decide right now, Greg, whether you're going to get rid of your current mantra like I whine, people are sick of your whining. Every time you whine, it disempowers your belief in self because you don't trust yourself every time you say that and nobody trusts you either. So why don't you get back to the idea that you're gonna win this? So we got two and a half weeks here. You have a decision to make. You can either do this through the human mindset, which is exactly what you're doing. And at the very best, you're gonna be a one act wonder. You're gonna be known as the guy that could have, but didn't. Is that what you wanna get up to every day? You wanna read the headlines of that newspaper for the rest of your life? inside your mind. You're not going to be able to face yourself. You're not going to be able to face anybody else. You're going to let everybody down because you're going to live a life of fear. You're going to be frustrated terminally because you cannot get any 
we're close to your potential. And as a result of that, the tagline that you're going to be known for is a mediocre life. But if we adjust here and we go to the champion's mind, the uh, norm for that is repeat wins because you're going to be prolific in your achievements. You're going to be confident in your actions and you're going to consistently produce excellence. So you tell me if we work together for the next two and a half weeks, we're not, we're only going to come from the champion's mindset. These are the things that we have to apply that have to go right to win. It's not about positive thinking. It's not about journaling. It's about you showing up and applying certain things that have to go right to surmount the boogeyman inside your head so that you're prepared and you're confident to do what your training will enable you to do, which is to win the gold medal. What do you want to do? He said, well, I'll go for the champion's uh, mind. I said, I think that's a great choice. So let's get to work. So then on the Friday before the Olympic final, he qualified uh, fourth for the Olympic final. It's okay. You don't have to win the qualification to win the gold medal. And then of course that night, um, his uh, handlers called me up and said, Greg wants to sleep in tomorrow on the day of the final. He wants to change his diet. What should he do? I'm going, did you guys hear one thing I said? I said, don't change anything. Two things and you win. What did I tell you the first thing, you know, two and a half weeks ago? Just tell him, don't change anything. And so then um, when it came to the Olympic final, fourth place on the first jump, okay, good enough, not injured, still in the game. Second jump, you know, massive jump, leading the, the um, Olympic competition. And then I was kind of waiting, eh, you know, for the text to come in for, you know, what the results were on his final jump. You know, it text being... And I kind of, have you ever kind of wanted to open it, but you kind of didn't want to? <laughs> yeah, I'm starting to break out of the sweat just like I did then, but I, I opened it up and it was Olympic champion. So the point that I want to make here is, is that to be a prolific achiever, there have to be a set of things that represent something that when applied correctly, uh, we have generated the courage to do despite our human nature. And that's what Greg had to do. He had to fight his human nature to be able to get to a place where he could win the gold medal and he could only get through the, there through the champion's mind. And so as a result of that, he went on to win the Commonwealth Games Championship. He won the World Championship. He won the Olympic Championship. He won the European Championship. He won everything that was to win for one single, re one single reason is because he developed the courage to apply that which has to go right to be able to perform at your best when there's no other option. And he did that because he understood the difference between the human mindset and the champion's mind and those things that represented each of those. And, and that's how he did it. So again, there are many types of things that contribute to uh, our mind. Mine is you got to show up as a Kung Fu master. And as you walk down the street, you have to be confident that whatever pops up, you're going to be able to recognize and know what to do with it. And you can't let the mantras do the work for you if it's not embedded to the response that has to be executed when those things show up. And so that's how I look at mindset with the clients and the businesses and the corporations that I work with. I love that. Uh, what was Thank Greg's you. last name? Greg Rutherford. Rutherford, okay. Yeah, he's from the UK. I, I'd like to ask you, Jeff, about... Um, 
if if people are out there and they're they're working away in their business or their goals <laughs> or trying to be an elite performer um you know sometimes uh, and i've experienced this personally sometimes it's it's difficult it's challenging to shift from the human mind to the champion mind so especially like if we don't have you or another coach around us that's helping us or an accountability partner or or the environment because there's a lot of people that are you know, trying to build a business, they're not, they're not in the greatest environment and they're, they're challenged with maybe in their family, you know, going from that human mind to the champion mm-hmm. mind. So do you have any like strategies or tactics that, that can help us shift from one to the other? Sure. A couple of things first. Uh, if people would like to get that, I've done a video on it. They can just go to www.beforeyouwen, B-E-F-O-R-E-Y-O-U-N, beforeyouwen.com. And that will gain access to uh, some of the things and models that I've put together. And uh, so that would be as a starter. But I would say the most important thing is to really know and understand when you're starting to go down the human mindset road, what are the cues to you that you are? It's generally we're starting to tighten up. Our mind is starting to race. We're getting clammy hands. We were feeling like we're behind. We feel like we've got to do more. We're getting up at 1.30 a.m. and walking around for an hour, wondering what to do next. Uh, we're on edge. We're maybe gaining or losing weight. Uh, we're not us. Um, people are shying away. We're not the person we want to be. I mean, those are all signs that we're uh, losing control of our ability to step into whatever it is to advance it towards the completion that we want for ourselves. So that would be first and foremost. The other thing is um, to make sure that you look at your schedule every day in advance and you know what you're going to be doing that day and who you may be encountering in the circumstances so that those that have known triggers that we know it's coming in advance and we arm ourselves with the champion mind responses to those things so that when we're in the presence of that and we feel ourselves starting to drift into the human mindset hyper reaction to things and becoming defensive that we already have in our mind, the response that we will apply to that at the right time to neutralize it as quickly in the process as possible. Um, That's by sure. And by far the best way to do it. I do actually have like a one page graphic that does the contrast between human mindset and champions mind that I believe is available. If you follow that link, you know, as well. Um, and one of the things that I suggest everybody do is that in the morning as part of your warm up for the day is that you make a conscious decision on how you're going to show up and you decide what uh, mentality you're going to show up from. And it has to be a conscious decision. It's like being in the locker room, you know, when you're putting on the shoulder pads and, you know, the stuff under the eyes. You're putting the helmet on, making sure the pads are right. You know, you got the elastic in the pants just where they kind of need to be so you can turn the right way. You got the shoelaces just right so you can put on the helmet, run out of the field and go to war for eight hours. You know, there has to be a ritual that that prepares you in a real way to do that. And again, I'm not discounting some of the things that are kind of pre-preparatory to that. But I think we, we do have to really look at it like that, do we have the battle readiness to step on the field, to fight the fight in a way that it needs to be fought to be victorious? So at the end of the day, 
The day is the product of what we set out to do for ourselves to showcase our talents and fulfill our obligations rather than make it uh, everybody else's problem that we've taken on. Their emergencies now become ours, where at the end of the day, it's another Groundhog Day, you know, or I refreshed Facebook, you know, for 20 minutes, five times today because I didn't know what to do, you know, or I've done it before, but why can't I do it again? You know, all of these things that uh, the entrepreneur in the creative like faces. I'd love to know, Jeff, like what are some of those rituals you've used over the years or, or continue to use some yeah. of your favorite ones that get you ready sure. to that mindset? Sure. Well, I think um, two that are extraordinarily important, and these are like the last things to get done before you engage people, places and things is to, to really ask yourself, how are you going to show up? I think that's the single most important question anybody could ask. If you look at my daughter, uh, she was exposed to unspeakable cruelty that uh, has scarred her for life. I mean, we're talking about real scars here, everybody. And she didn't ask for that. And had people showed up differently for her, she wouldn't uh, be suffering some of the effects of that. And we need to consciously decide, are we going to show up and give humanity and those people that have entrusted their time with us the best that we can give them unconditionally? Or are we gonna let our personal battle get in the way of our professional battle? And for me, uh, part of our therapy is to get beyond that which prevents us from becoming the person that we need to be and that we wanna be for other people. And people would say, well, no, that's just not me. Well, no, hold on a second. That's the human nature you, the not so good side of you that keeps you trapped. So I don't wanna hear that that's you. You know, that's a conscious to choice or a reflexive choice that you're doing. The real you, in my opinion, is the one that can fight the personal battle outside of the professional arena and show up as a standard that can call people to a higher game and showcase for others what's possible. And how do we actually stay in the game while we're fighting different types of you know battles in our life? For sure. Most important thing ever. I think the, the second thing would be to look at the purpose of why am I doing this? You know, in today's world, I think that's a really good question to ask. You know, why, why am I actually going to expose myself for another, you know, if we're working for the city, we could say eight hours, but entrepreneurs, you know, we'll say another, you know, 20 hours, right? You know, why am I doing and risking so much over the next 20? Why am I actually doing this? Do I really need to do this? we all get to a place where we ask that question. And so I have three photographs in front of me. One is of my wife when we got married. I'm doing it for her because she's been a great partner. She's gone the distance with me. I um, have a picture of my daughter at a high school graduation. Really important milestone for her. Didn't even speak English six years before speak a syllable of English, you know, no school. And then I had the silhouette of a crowd and that represents humanity. I'm doing it for humanity because I really feel that as I change one thing in one person, it calls others to a higher game. And I feel like we have a moral obligation to develop and showcase our uniqueness, knowing that there's only one of us in all of creation. And right now there's 7 billion people on this planet that we do need to honor that. And we honor our friends, our family, our benefactors, our, um, mentors every time we succeed it's the best gift that we can give them because they played a role in that they are proud when they see that for us 
It's not because they contributed, but yet we reflect that back to them by honoring what they did for us by manifesting greatness. And probably the most important reason why that's important is that it, because it shows other people what's possible, especially in today's world where you're almost called out for honoring your distinction. That, that's not an act of egotism or self-interest. To me, that's an honor ritual that we must uh, abide by and we must respect as part of our uh, pass through this dimension in life. So those two things, absolutely, for sure. In addition to deciding which mentality you're gonna come from. You're gonna let your human mindset control your decisions or are you gonna come from your champion's mind? Three key things. Did you use, I, I've heard Olympic athletes and sports athletes talk about the process of visualization um, through their, their training or their prep, like <clears throat> visualizing the perfect jump or whatever, maybe. Um, when you were working with, with, well, both athletes and entrepreneurs, is this a process that you guys use to, to play that movie, uh, that perfect movie in their mind over and over? Well, I, I think that there has to be an empirical, practical, do it as closely as possible to the way that you're going to do it in real life first. Because when I was working with you too, uh, you know, we uh, rented uh, an arena the exact size of where the 131 concerts for the world tour will be done over the 18 months for us to be able to learn the skill as closely as possible to real life as it was going to be. So there's that side of it and that side of it first. Rely on that first and then you can do mental rehearsals during downtimes and before you uh, go into competition like for real you can use it for that, but experientially first, because you're not going to get the confidence from the visualization. You know, that's like kind of retrieving a video from the archive, but where confidence comes from, from is from actually demonstrating what has to go right. So you have a body of evidence that you can trust because that's what you have to rely on when you go live. You cannot you know, rely on that which you don't have. So for example, when I was in graduate school, I would show up huddled around the door uh, for an examination. Then when the professor, before the professor got there, everybody was quizzing each other in the hall. You know, they were studying and they were you know, quizzing each other, whatever. And as an Olympian, I, I was thinking less. I was letting my mind be at ease so I could retrieve the information. And what I realized these people were doing is that they were putting all of their confidence in the 5% they didn't know to help them pass the test. And that's what they were trying to cram inside their head in the few minutes before the test. And so then when the test was taken, you could hear the last five minutes, everybody was changing all the right answers, the wrong answers, because they were so confused, they couldn't retrieve what they didn't know <laughs> because they invested all their confidence and they didn't, what they didn't know. And therefore they failed the test. And then the, you know, the regrets and the bemoaning and all that stuff and the size of, despair and the hall afterwards were completely predictable. So again, I think it's like, again, in, in my program, the goal achievement roadmap, which is another model that I've created. Step number six in there uh, is how do you actually start a process so it gets executed correctly from moment zero. And if you go to that before you win.com, there will be a, a video that you can watch that, that showcases some of the important features of that as well. There has to be a prescribed process by which is rehearsed and executed correctly before you go from being fully prepared 
to really executing everything in its entirety, there's that little bridge where you got to start the process correctly. And that's kind of where this uh, comes into it. You have to master that for sure. I've also heard, you know, champions talk about uh, sometimes there's a couple different camps in this mindset with uh, setting the perfect end result as the goal, as opposed to setting the time you need to put in to get that perfect end result is a goal. So for example, say you're, you're, let's just talk about sales teams, right? Say your goal is to sell a million dollars in, in a year, your sales team to sell a million dollars. Um, and that's, that's the perfect end result. But instead of being attached to that goal, some people would say, um, set a goal to make X amount of sales interactions or sales calls per day and keep that milestone on a daily basis. And it will lead you to that goal. So working with like, um, you know, the top athletes and entrepreneurs, what's your thought process? Yeah, well, thanks. You know, when I was working with the Hitachi executive team, when they were going through a, a global uh, a transformation, like as a company, um, first off, you know, mindset was their number one question. So we successfully applied the uh, human versus the champions mind uh, model that I just shared with you. That became one of the four pillars of their company culture, by the way. And uh, so with that, I think that you do kind of need to reverse engineer it. So if you know what the target is and you work back is to what exactly has to go right to be able to hit that. And then you build into it some flexibility, knowing that it always takes twice as long and twice as much to get to where you want to go as you think that it does. And so once we've done that, then you could uh, prune it back to uh, what are the daily action steps that are required to meet the metrics that taken as a sum total over time allow us to get there. Because if we lose sight of the bigger goal, uh, sometimes it's really tough when you're right in the middle of the battle, you know, because you've got nothing to hang on to. But I think, you know, simultaneously that, uh, you know, and an example of this is, is that like a lot of times the managers uh, uh, are on the suicide watch when you're at that halfway point in a major conversion because everybody lose sight of the goal because you, you, you're too absorbed in the little details. So you're, you're detail like saturated. So I think you want to have, again, long-term outcome that's not negotiable in your own mind. I think it's always better to strive for more rather than for less. If you're hitting all your marks all the time, then the marks are always too low. And one of the things that I do with my clients is that I say, look, let's, let's aim high because uh, if you don't make it, I don't want your scorecard to be whether you made it or not. I want your scorecard to be how well did you adapt with the unforeseen between where you were and where you wanted to get to. And if you adapted well, then you get an A. But if you failed to adapt, then you get an F. So my scorecard is not so much number. It's really, were you able to adapt to things as they arose that were unanticipated to carry maximum momentum forward? And could you adjust and adapt the model and process? And, and why I say this, and when I work with my uh, private one-on-one clients in, in groups, uh, I, my process is called the DARE achievement progression. DARE, the D means data. We got to collect all the data to make sure that we're seeing everything as it really is in its entirety. The A stands for analyze. We got to analyze the data. Like, what does all this mean? And then the R 
and dare means roadmap. So we take what the data means, and then we create a roadmap, which is a progression forward, a hierarchy that then needs to be executed, the E, and that has its own set of parameters. So when we kind of hold something in a vessel that keeps us engaged with the reality of what it is and where we are, then the mind starts to relax and our confidence increases. So we have to kind of hold the reality simultaneously with the modification of the actions to be able to get there. And in that way, we know we're always playing a game like in reality. It's the uncertain nature of the future that we're not prepared for that increases the anxiety that gets in the way of sound decision-making. So that's kind of the way that I do it. We have a long game play. Uh, let me put other one, another point in here that's really important is that I have this concept um, called the point of visibility. And what I tell my clients is that, you know, we're here now and we know what the data points are right now. And we know what this means. We know the goal's way out here, but with the data that we have here, we have a point of visibility out here where we can safely say between here and here, we know that we're gonna get here. What is it gonna to take to get here? But beyond here to the goal, we don't have enough information yet. This is all speculation. So this may change. So we're not changing the goal, but we're really focusing on the, the point of visibility. And as long as we're kind of looking at these as the priority, then we're holding our space in reality and we're progressing forward. And what that does, that also increases the confidence in the teammates that we're guiding uh, towards that like bigger future as well. So their anxiety drops, their confidence in us as leaders then starts to skyrocket as well. What's your daily routine like these days? Well, it's like up early. I'm up at five or 5.30. Um, I say a big round of prayers for myself and my family and my clients in the world. And then uh, I do a little uh, tea action, a little green tea with a little you know, cream in it. Take some uh, vitamins and some nutrients. And then I, I go check emails to see if there's anybody from you know, Europe or Scandinavia I need to talk with. It's come up with an emergency. And then I always do my creative stuff uh, when the creative juices are flowing really strongly between like it depends. Like for me, it's like, you know, six and, and 11 AM. That's where the juice is flowing. And I do all my creative stuff then. And I've actually created a program for that. It's called the champions daily schedule. And that'll be out as well. It shows an explicit detail, exactly what a perfect champions day is, what we should be doing when to gain the most momentum and conserve as much energy as possible. And if you go to the before you win.com, that'll gain you access to things as I'm starting to release them. And there is a, a video on that as well. Um, so I do all the creative stuff early because that's when I got the juices flowing. And then I'll get into the executive uh, coaching side of it um, after my creative stuff is done. And then um, I will around four o'clock, that's when the fitness kicks in. And because that's, I don't know if you know this, but that's when most of the uh, uh, personal records are created in sports. It's between four and 6 p.m because that's where there's, there's, yeah, there's a flattening out. You know, have you heard of the, the, the uh, uh, hormone cortisol? Yeah, okay, so anyhow, I, I follow a, a cortisol rhythm driven daily schedule where it kind of rises in the morning till eight o'clock. That's where we put on the war paint. That's where we do all this stuff to prepare ourselves. And then at eight o'clock, you know, where we step onto the field, like from then until four, there's a cortisol dive. And this is where we're executing the creativity and doing all the grunt work in business. 
and then from four to six, it flattens out a little bit. This is a great time to, to work out and kind of regroup. And then um, it tails off a little bit. Then there's another little rise towards the end. And then I always prepare for the next day uh, in the mid evening of the preceding day. So I get the food and I get the, uh, the clothes out. So I don't need to look for that in the morning. I know what my schedule is gonna be because I always prepare that for the next day when I'm done with the work day. I don't wait to do that at home when I get home. I don't wait to do that in the morning. And the morning is when we should be working on the stuff, not thinking of what we should be doing. And that's kind of the metronome that I, uh, that I follow and that I, I work very diligently with my client, with my clients with. What time's your bedtime, Jeff? You said you got up at five, right? Yeah. I, I'm like a seven hour guy. So I'll go to bed like a 10, you know, maybe a little bit later, maybe a little bit less. It kind of depends. But, um, the, the other thing that I do with part of my ritual is that, uh, when I'm done with the day and, and ready for bed, you know, say my prayers and, you know, being grateful for just an amazing opportunity to have another day. And, Hopefully I'll have another great one tomorrow. Um, I give myself permission to go to sleep. It's like the world can do without me for seven days, eight, eight, seven hours. You don't need me for seven hours, you know? And so I'll see you in the morning, <laughs> you know? But we have to consciously do that, you know? Otherwise you start counting sheep. <laughs> well, there's, yeah. And I think that's a, a great thing to do because there's so many people that are struggled with sleep, uh, struggling with sleep these days because they're spending so much time on their devices. Um, and probably in the past, you know, before electronics and the internet yeah. was out, people were struggling with sleep too. They just yeah. did it, handled it differently, but yeah. you know, there's not enough, probably not enough education and, uh, on how to people to optimize their sleep. But sometimes when I do that as well, like if I lay down uh, and go to bed and I'm like, uh, and I'm being restless, I'm just like, no body, go to sleep, go to sleep, body. Relax, relax, yeah. relax. And it helps and it works. It's just. Well, I think a couple of things people don't realize is that, you know, sleep, uh, several things happen. The first part of sleep is where the body recovers. And the second half of sleep is where the psychology recovers and recollates the day and prunes stuff and deletes and edits. And this is where problems are solved. And, you know, again, if you don't sleep, problems don't get solved. Thinking more about it doesn't solve them either. It just creates greater stress and strain and upset. And so again, this goes back to the champion's mind. The, the champion's mind doesn't come naturally. What comes naturally to us, our natural state of being is to be lazy and to complain and want everything our way without having to do anything. You know, I mean, that's our natural state of being, you know, but that doesn't help us. And so I don't know about you, but it's like, I don't wanna be natural. I don't wanna be like everybody else. I, I'm allergic to complaining. It's like, I want to be supernatural, not for my own sake, but I want to showcase the talents that I've been given to show other people what's possible. I want to be an advocate, not just an example, but I want to be an advocate for them. And so I feel like, you know, we do have a lot more control over it, but it goes back to the question you asked me, Greg, is like with mindset, if you want to live a natural life, you don't need to do anything. Just follow your whims, follow your emotions, blame everybody else for everything, uh, indulge in whatever you want um, and see where it goes. But if you want to create a life of distinction, it takes time and effort to hold sacred the vessel of what that commitment involves. Because, you know, wouldn't it be great if weeds were our best flowers? They grow, they don't require any cultivation, no watering, they just grow on their own. But if you want to, have a beautiful garden 
It takes time and effort. That's exactly the same thing for our life. It, it takes cultivation. It takes vigilance. When am I going to get there? Well, you're only going to get there as long as you apply what has to go right. And that's why the champion's mindset, that's why this idea of champions daily schedule, all these models that I've created out of my experience in this world, I think are extraordinarily valuable because they're born from observation about what reality tells us. It's not some uh, psychological gizmo that's been crafted in a laboratory that hasn't stood the test of time. You know, we need something tangible that we can sink our teeth into that we can believe in that's got an experiential history in it. So again, if you want to be extraordinary, whatever that is, it just has to be applied consistently and we got to trim all the other crap out. People that don't serve you well, that steal your energy, boom, out, sorry. Uh, you know, a third bicycle, I don't need a third bicycle. I just need our first good one, other two, like out. We got to sort of prune it back and get out from under the encumbrances that are, are, are holding us back and suffocating us just to stay neutral. Where, where, Jeff, where do you see the, I guess you could say industry, but the industry, but the, the ideals uh, and the technology of high performance and peak performance going in the next like 10, 10 years or so? Well, it's hard to say because right, right now there's a lot of speculation and it, it's always dangerous to say that there is an upper limit because we're always discovering new things. I, I know that you know, right now neuroscience is, is hailed as the, the great um, uh, doorway to the, the bigger future and longevity to 180 and 200, et cetera, and things like that. You know, and you know, if you look at the theory behind some of these things, maybe that's possible in theory. Where theory meets reality, you know, we'll know, you know, in time uh, what that might looks like. But but what I'm really interested in myself personally is that uh, I really want people to be confident that they can manifest the future based upon the cultivation of their talents. Uh, because if we feel like there's that, then we have uh, hope in something that's real and tangible with what's known like right now. There are a couple of things missing. Um, like to me, goal achievement is life's fundamental skill, but uh, there's not a lot of good models out there that they certainly talk about goal setting, but goal setting is not goal achievement. You can set goals all day long, but if you can't achieve them, then they're never going to manifest. So I feel like, again, if we can, find a way of living with tranquility of being and honoring our talents and being confident and certain in the value that we've created as an individual for ourselves and others, then life's pretty darn good. And whatever unanticipated come along, then it's not because we've summoned them into our life through some omission, but it's part of just the way things have been built to this point in our understanding and we could do no more. And I, I do feel that it's important that we get to a place where we reconcile this in a way that we can live with what we didn't get to or couldn't manifest. And that we don't empower that as being a criteria for living a successful life. Um, I, another thing I'd like to say here too, if I could, is that uh, you know, before the age of 35, you're probably not going to be thinking about that. You're just going to be wanting to, you know, achieve great things and build just a huge monument and high ambition. So a lot of these things are also set by the pacing of the life decade that we're in that 
uniquely has a certain way of looking at things that we can't conceive of in advance. So, you know, in, in, in saying that, I can look back from 70 and say, uh, with great respect, what we should be expecting in each decade based upon our biologic development as a thinking, breathing, aspirational human being. Uh, and I also knew the human side of that. So I feel that, again, if you uh, are, it, I'm not, I can't say peace because we always got to, you know, the worst thing that can happen is get too domesticated, you know, too much, too good, too long, and it starts to ruin your creativity and your aspirations. You know, the blade starts to dull a little bit. But um, I, you know, the question was about, you know, the performance capacities in the future in 20 years. I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. You know, I, I, I will say a couple things here that neuroscience is something, but it's not everything. Like, for example, I, I shared earlier that you can slip on ice and your hand knows where to put itself to break the ice, but you couldn't think fast enough to make that happen. But it broke the fall so perfectly, it had to be a purposeful act. Well, the nerves are too slow to uh, handle and mediate that process. So there's clearly something extraneural or outside the nervous system that has enabled that to happen. Uh, you know, the world of premonition and insight, uh, we can't say that those aren't necessarily uh, real either because even though you don't have a visible wire that you can name as being the conduit for that, you know, the body uses other structures and combinations to do some majestic things that weren't seen previously so i'm sure that there will be some revelations in 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 that uh space uh, space as well but you know while we're waiting for that let's make sure that we um prepare ourselves to stay in the game long enough to get some of the gains that will be coming along through that um i've dedicated myself to answering the questions about you know how do we perform at our best in a way that we stay in the game long enough to make a life of value to us and contribute to others. There's a lot of people that create a life for themselves and they destroy others in the process. There are people that spend all their time creating great things for other people, but they destroy their lives in the process. You, you know, so there's kind of this reconciliation that, that happens that um, I have extensive conversations with my clients and businesses about to be able to hold that space responsibly so that we're not paralyzed in indecision or or an uncertainty you know what do we do between now and then so i i think in you know adding more stuff to the unmanageable nature of all the stuff that we're responsible for right now you know we got to find some better substitutes you know things to substitute what we already have in motion so i i would say one more thing if i could do, do, do whatever you can to cultivate a world in which we can express ourselves. Because if the world does not enable us to express ourselves and be free to do that, then all of the things that we're talking about don't matter. Because all we are is a cog in the machinery of perpetuating things that may serve as the whole, but nobody is able to uh, promote and service and showcase their best attributes. And what I do know is that when people come from their best and grow and develop their best, they're happy. And when they're happy, they want to share that happiness and that slice of the pie with everybody. 
And we're at a place right now in our world where I think that that's being challenged. And uh, if you look at some of the countries that have lost their freedoms, these people are all all unhappy. You don't see smiles. And why why would you? Because there's no way to get your creative genius out there. There is no method to do that. So again, I think we need to just really be mindful of that moving forward and the decisions that we're making about you know, who were engaging to represent us to make some of those executive decisions. We see a lot of like entrepreneurs, high performers, athletes get become incredibly obsessive about whatever they're pursuing that, as you mentioned, um, mm-hmm. other areas of their lives fall off relationships, maybe spiritual life, sometimes mm-hmm. health, if you're an entrepreneur, um, you know, and so and finances as well. But mm-hmm. how do you, when you're coaching with people and you personally, Jeff, like how do you, how do you maintain balance in life? Well, I think the first thing is that you can't have it all, all at once. And you can't be afraid that if you don't get it all now, there's not going to be room for it later. Because those are, those are, again, human mindset fears that are only real if we believe them to be true. And if you're chasing too much too early, fearing that you may not get to everything, you're probably going to put yourself in an early grave and you aren't going to get there. So it's better to take action on the bigger things that matter the most to you and others first so that we add those to the bucket. Um, I would say that you know the other things um, to really be mindful about this is that um, when I was dying from mercury poisoning 20 years ago, um, I realized the only thing that I was taking with me is what I gave others. Nothing else is coming with me. And the only thing I was going to be remembered for is what I gave people. All the other stuff didn't matter. I mean, it takes a while to get there because in our 30s, uh, you know, ambition uh, and showcasing self and acquisition is really the lens that we look at life through. You know, we're kind of biologically driven towards that. So that's acceptable. But then when we get into the 40s, we want to create a different level of order because our body, our life has been turned so upside down with obligation. We're being suffocated by just staying neutral. You know, so there are certain things that we can anticipate. And all I, I could say that human nature wants everything now based on fear. If we're living a life on fear, of what we may not get to, then we're not going to make good choices or uh, be able to produce the best that we can now. And something done lives on uh, for all of eternity, something half done doesn't even make it onto the, uh, the, the playlist, so to speak. Um, we have to kind of get used to that. Uh, nothing is worth your health. Um, what I do know, being a primary health care provider, is that you've got about 20 or 30 years of reserve on board, which means that if you start pursuing your goals at 20, uh, you know, you got your 20s, 30s, and your 40s. And that's when all the bad stuff shows up after that. And if you've exhausted yourself and put yourself in the hurt locker, pushing yourself too long, too hard early, you may get away with it for a while, but eventually uh, the detonation of the time bomb is going to go off. It's only a matter of how bad and when it's going to happen and what the cost is going to be for that. Uh, I would say, you know, play the long game and have a lot of really good, solid uh, victories in the process of that, but don't put yourself uh, into a difficult situation before you get to that place where you finally gotten to master the process of achievement, where then you could do your best work. And I see people do this consistently all the time. You know, in, in I'll say here is that the zone of doom is between 38 and 43. Why do I say that? 
Well, because again, I'm a student of, of observation. I see things. I work with a lot of people that, 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 that play a big game. And uh, at 38, you got kids, they're getting older. You're putting on weight. You haven't exercised for a while. You're getting tired. You got 15, 20 years in the game right now. You haven't achieved as much as you think that you should have achieved, you know, as of this time, you know, the wife wants to paint the house for the third time this year. You know, she's putting on extra weight. She's not feeling good about it. You know, you guys, you know, now become roommates rather than a couple. Um, you know, the kids now have got, you know, 20 things that you got to take them to violin lessons, you know, hockey practice, uh, the, our fifth language tutorial, you know, it, and so just the, the avalanche and the incessant uh, lack of relief where we have this tsunami of uh, obligation with no visibility of way out, the uh, walls are starting to close in on us, that happens. And so we've, number one, got to know that that's happening and have to have safe transit through that to get to the other side. And if you get to the other side of that without a divorce, because that's the most likely where it's going to happen. The first, you know, real, real challenge is going to be in that age range. Uh, and remember, you know, a, a divorce could cost you two or three decades of work. Same thing with a health event. People are dying in their late thirties of heart attacks, you know, just at a point where you're starting to get it figured out. It takes until about 50 to get it figured out full spectrum. Uh, but in any event, um, it's the hardest thing in the world to do is to pull back when you think everybody else's life is great until you talk to them behind the veil and they'll tell you exactly the same thing that you're thinking. But yet everybody tells everybody the, um, you know, the gross income, right? <laughs> they don't tell you the real bottom line. And so then we feel like this isolated Island. Oh God, why is my life so bad? I, I suck at this. You know, I can't do anything. Everybody I'm never going to be able to catch up, you know, but that that's, that's not true. You know, um, so I would say that's certainly a, a huge, you know, key to this. I wish we had, you know, a couple of weeks to talk about this. We could get through everything, but, you know, please keep in mind that if you're starting to feel the book constrictor around your neck, you know, 35 is a little early, you know, you still just think you can mow down anything, you know, you need a couple more years to kind of feel the squeeze of the anaconda. Um, but we kind of eventually get there. And at that point, is where we really have to look at the fact that I can't do this all. It's not possible in the timetable that I want, you know, uh, I just can't. So how do I actually do this in a way that allows me to be the husband and the dad I want to be and to be the friend that I want to be and to, even to myself, how do I do that? And so there's that kind of big shakeout that happens during those uh, five or six like sacred years there. I've never seen anybody be able to avoid that. Never seen. It's a natural, natural part of our biology. <laughs> the journey, man. Yeah, it is. <laughs> we'll do one more question, Jeff, and, and sure. we'll wrap things up. But as a, as somebody that's been a high performer for literally 60 years, yeah, um, more than probably any other high performers on earth, like close to it. Um, and you're at 70 now. What, what's the next 10 to 20 years? What's the rest of your life look like? Um, and, and what you want to do with your life? Yeah. Thanks for saying that. Well, first off, you know, I want to continue to remain a, 
a servant of my calling and those things that are gifted to me to pursue, to make a difference. That's always worked out really well for me um, only because it, it gives me great satisfaction to leave something of value for others that can help shortcut their learning to their bigger future and make sense out of this insanity called life. Cause I, I know I have a real a, important take on that. Um, and so, you know, and moving forward uh, uh, will be to continue to develop my models and make them in a form that, uh, people have access to that's happening right now as we speak um, and remaining a good dad. I, I love riding my bicycle. You know, I just want to always have the best bicycle on the planet, you know, to ride. And I want to have on good days when I have the Olympic legs that be able to punish some of the younger riders that's some of do that as long as possible. And uh, I want to continue to uh, be at peace and, and reconcile my journey and the things that I've, uh, you know, that I've created. Uh, but I'm always going to be active and, and, and an advocate for those people that are called to play a big game. Because, uh, again, you know, winning big is not an accident. It's, it's deliberate. And it requires a structure and, and reading terrain correctly. And I know that I can do that because of my experience. And I want people to have I would like them to learn the lessons through example and insight rather than the hard way of a two or three month or two or three year delay or a detour from an, a preventable, unnecessary problem. Uh, this is what keeps me in the game. And this is, uh, you know, what I'm passionate about. So that's what the next, uh, you know, 20 or 30 years look like. I like that. Do you, do you have a goal for how long you want to live? Like, I know you've worked with Dave Asprey and he's shooting for 150. Um, yeah. I'm okay with 95. Like I'm, I'm wondering what, what your thoughts are on that. Well, you know, thanks for sharing that. Cause I've been thinking a lot about that. Uh, well, it, it occurs to me because as you, as you get older, your body starts to change a little bit, you know, and drift in certain areas and things like that. And, you know, recently, uh, um, you know, I had that because, uh, I, I had some stuff on my liver that they, they weren't liking. So uh, we did, uh, you know, an MRI on my liver and it came back. It was nothing, you know, but, but I was thinking ab about this. So let's say it is something that is uh, catastrophic. You know, what does that mean in, in like, what am I going to do with the time left? And, and what, what do I need to feel in myself that I've kind of reconciled life, you know, to this and, uh, what I'm going to share with you is really what it really is for me is that, you know, I, I realized um, what I've learned from my experiences is that, uh, you know, for me, there is a higher power because I've evidenced that I've experienced that. I mean, my daughter is a perfect example of that. Um, you know, and, you know, for me, uh, I don't always understand God's ways. I don't have the capacity to do that. I'm not sure any of us really do, but, 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 but what, I, what is really important to me is, is, you know, to me, the, the, the source of all things good. Uh, there is a reconciliation at some point for all things. And in my opinion, you know, God always wins. It, it may not seem like it at the time or whatever, but that's sort of his business. And it's like when I exit, if I've done my job to, to support that, I'm okay with whatever it is, whenever it is. And I didn't really know how I felt about all that until 
I had this you know recent uh, thing with the MRI, and I feel an incredible peace with that because that's the way I really feel, because I know there's something on the other side, I, you know, and so I'm okay with that. Um, I just feel like we have to be a good steward, and if we've have been uh, of uh, full commitment to show up in service of that then it's like, I'm okay with that. I, it's like with the challenges that I faced in life, I mean, there's nothing that can hurt me. I mean, seriously, what are you gonna do? Call me a bad name or whatever, take all my money. Okay, so what? I'll sleep on a cot in a corner. As long as I got my bicycle, I'm okay. I mean, seriously. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm really proud to say that I, I live a pretty tranquil life and it's not because I have millions, because uh, I don't. Uh, it's not because I have any other levels of security blankets, anything tucked away in a safe deposit box, a rabbit's foot, a magic potion, because I don't. But I, I, I just know that, um, like my daughter, it was 11 years of my life to this point, almost 12, you know, full service to her, you know, and, and people said, well, how could you do that? You know, weren't you scared? And it's like, at the height of your career, you know, that you had to turn your back on 90% of that. It's like, no, not really. Because it's like, you know, you have to work and do what's in front of you. If, you know, if you're called for it, 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 it carries its own reward, in my opinion, because it always has. So I made an Olympic team and everything else. So uh, again, I, I, I just want to express that, again, if it were to end today after this call here, and, and I had fulfilled, you know, my role here, I, I would be honestly 100% okay with that. I don't want it because I, I want to, continue to be you know my daughter's father but i could say that okay you know i showed up i was honorable i did everything that i could do to honor the privilege of that and uh i think that's about all i have to say love it i love it jeff um jeff i want to say thank you so much for coming on the show thanking you for, thank you for sharing your tips and tricks and all your wisdom with us i really appreciate it if the listeners want to reach out and learn more about what you have going on, I know you mentioned beforeyouwin.com. Is there any other place they can find you at? Yeah. Well, I think that's the best place to go because that will actually uh, get them on the newsletter because I'm, I'm always doing videos that, you know, are not of me eating of my plate with food, you know, <laughs> but it's actually, you know, there are these uh, nuggets that I uh, always write down that I see that are really valuable tips that can be employed is really good action steps and perspectives. You know, they get all that stuff. Uh, they get my podcast and everything else. And that's a great place to start. So please just before you win.com, that'd be great. Perfect. Again, Jeff, thanks so much for coming on the show. Listeners, listeners, thank you guys for tuning in once again, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our six, seven, and eight-figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.
Hey listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.